0: So another year passed of all my Sunday schools, believe it or not. And as you know, if some of you guys know, we want to take a break. I take a break once a year to do a little bit of a recap so you guys know, and especially today, because we got some high school folks who have probably never heard any of this stuff ever, right? It makes sense that you guys wouldn't know if we just continued on with our normal Sunday schools. So today, we'll do a little bit of a recap to see where we've been. Believe it or not, believe it or not, one year ago, we were still stuck in the middle of the book of Hosea. But for reasons unknown, we've been moving at light speed, and in that time, we finished Hosea, and we did the Hosea recap, right? And we actually finished the book of Joel, which was pretty fast, and we're into the book of Amos, right? So today, let me talk a little bit about Joel again, even though you guys have all heard it before. Hopefully you heard it before. Probably you all forgot it, right? But we didn't do a recap on Joel, so today will be our little Joel recap. And we'll go a little bit of recapping of what we studied so far in the book of Amos. So let's talk about Joel, the prophet Joel. What do we remember about him? Well, the first thing we remember about him is that we don't know anything about him, right? If you remember we studied Joel, there was no date, there was no job, there was no nothing. We didn't know anything about him, who he was, when he lived. and There's no identifying stuff in the Bible. And one of the things I pointed out that was interesting about that. And why it might be intentional that it's like that is because God wanted Joel's message to be undated. Because his message was not just for the people of whatever time he lived, it was for the people of all time, meaning including us. In fact, it says right at the start of the book of Joel, right? This is what you're supposed to tell your children and your children's children, right? That's the way he started off his book, that the message is not just for them, but the message is for everyone. What was Joel's message? The message that he wanted to last for generations, the one that God wanted to share with the people of Israel, Judah, back then. If you remember, we always have the one overarching theme for each book, right, for Hosea. It was about repentance, right? For Joel, the theme was God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. The entire book of Joel keeps on going back to that theme that God is all-powerful. And how does Joel express that in the first chapter? He makes it really obvious by talking about these natural disasters, natural disasters, the plague of locusts, horrible drought. And one thing that might be relevant to all of us here today, wildfires, right? You've been hearing nothing on the news day after day, right, about campfire up in Butte County, Thousand Oaks Fire in California, fires everywhere today. Just like back then, just like back then, it was a symbol of God's power and our weakness. Isn't it today? Isn't it today? We probably live in the time of history that compared to any other time in history, we're the most prepared for fires. Are we not? Isn't our firefighting technology the best compared to people that lived 50 years ago? 100 years ago definitely people that live thousands of years ago like the ones in the bible our firefighters a lot better than theirs right but what happened when that fire went through you know paradise california well you guys also saw the pictures of the news the city looked like it blew up in a bomb explosion it's all leveled all burned there's nothing you could do when that happened when that fire comes there's nothing anyone can do how bad was that fire it wasn't just up there look at the past week right how we had smoke all over even here people you know you walk up walking on the street they're hiding they're wearing their masks right they're talk, they're walking around as if we're living in like the apocalypse or something like that right that's how how crazy it got that's the power of god god can control everything he can control the fires the earthquakes the floods not a single thing that's the way God is, right? So when you're faced against this awesome power, it's a reminder to all of us of how much we need God, is it not? Who can protect you when that fire comes? No man, right? One fire truck is not going to save you against that firestorm. Not even one airplane dumping water from the sky is going to save you from that firestorm. Have nothing to do but pray to God and hope that God has mercy on us, right? That's the message of chapter 1 of Joel when we studied it, that God's power is so great, is so great. And of course, God used that power against Israel for punishment for their sin. And we read about it in chapter 2 of Joel, when we studied chapter 2 of Joel, about this invading army that would come and take over Israel, right? And cause all these problems, horrible things. You can imagine being invaded by an army, having your country taken over, all those bad things, right? But we noted one thing that, 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 that Joel talked about in terms of the timing of this. Like, when would this happen? And the reference was not to, you know, oh, this is gonna happen to you soon. What it say? This stuff would happen in the day of the Lord, day of the Lord. And we talked about this concept a little bit, right? For those of you guys unfamiliar, the day of the Lord refers to the day when, and not just one day, but kind of like an era, a time period, right? We hear that expression nowadays, right? We talk about we live in like the day of computers right now, right? The era of computers. It starts on a literal day, and that literal day is a day that Jesus returns. That's the day of the Lord, right? When Jesus returns, that's his day, right? But it doesn't refer to just that one day. It refers to all that stuff that you guys study if you've ever studied the book of Revelation, right? He comes back and all this other stuff happens, right? That is the day of the Lord. And it does match up. You know, all this stuff about wars and Israel and stuff, it matches up with the book of Revelation. Obviously, we don't have time to go do a Bible study of that. That would take like forever to go through all that, but you can study that on your own, I'm sure. And you guys might remember some of the Nathan Bible study. When he talked about Revelation, there would be some overlap there. But suffice it to say, the Bible is a consistent book. That yes, the day of the Lord is going to be this horrible time. There will be wars. Israel's going to be a conquered place. All that kind of stuff. And why does Joel talk about it? Why? Because I think it shows this. It shows that, yeah, God is powerful, he's gonna be powerful in their day when all these natural disasters are coming down the pipe. But his power extends all the way till the day of the Lord, that's right. Even until the very end of time, God is powerful, that he has that punishment coming for Israel, even in that day. So if he covers from from that time all the way till the day of the Lord, we know that we're in that time period, right? The day of the Lord hasn't happened yet, Jesus hasn't returned yet, but God is still powerful God is still powerful even today so what does Joel say about this what are we supposed to do in verse 12 of chapter 2 that was a big verse we focused on when we were studying it the turnaround verse it says what therefore therefore saith the Lord turn you even to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning a call for true repentance right right Turn with me with all your heart. We studied when we read this section here that God doesn't want just words, right? Not just a fake repentance, but a real one with our hearts backed up by real actions, right? It was probably easy for people back then when they start facing the bad things like, oh, the drought is coming, the plague is coming, the fire is coming, and say, oh, yes, God, I turn back to you, right? And then the fire is gone, and then they go back to living their normal life, their life of sin, their life of idolatry, their life of whatever it is they were doing beforehand, right? Right? It's easy in that moment to make a gesture, right? A small gesture. Oh, yes, God, I bow down on my knees. I pray to you, save me from the disaster. Now it's past. Okay, God, now I forget you. And sadly, we know that happens today, right? I'm sure there were people up there during the wildfires that may have done exactly the same thing, praying to God for, uh, for escape, and maybe they escape, and then afterwards turn back to their normal life now, right? They might say that with their mouth, but don't back it up with action. God looks for us for true repentance, for true changing of our hearts, Right? It's not just, oh, we sin, we sin, we say, God, I'm sorry, and then we go back to sinning, right? Because that's not what it means to be sorry, right? And I gave the example of my kids, right? You know, a lot of times, we tell them, hey, they got in a fight or something, right? You hit your brother, you hit your sister. We tell them to be sorry, right? And then they might say it really angrily, like, sorry, right? And you know, they don't mean it, right? And then, you know, my wife is a smart one. She says, like, oh, if you're sorry, you, you will not hit your brother or sister ever again. That's what it really means to be sorry, right? It means you won't do it again, right? It means nothing if you just turn to them and say sorry and then you go hit them again, right? And that's the way God looks at us. It means nothing if we say sorry. Oh, let me go sin again tomorrow. Let me go sin again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Now, of course, we know that we all are sinful beings and that we will continue to sin despite our best efforts. But the idea Behind this is that our heart, our heart is against sin. Our heart is against sin. That means that we don't actively go out our way and try to seek out sin. Now, unfortunately, that's what Israel and Judah did, right? They actively went out there and they went to go worship the other idols, right? They, that, that's obvious, that's like so obvious, right? They know that God doesn't like that, that, oh, if you're going to worship Baal or this statue or that statue, that's just wrong. They did it nonetheless, right? And likewise today, there's some people that they say, you know what, I know I believe in God, but you know, I like doing this thing better. It makes me feel better. I want to go do this sin. I want to do that thing. What kind of message does that send to God? Is that sending the message of, yeah, we're a repentant, loving servant? Or is that the message of, I don't care about you, God. And I'm going to do whatever I want. That's the message we send. So God wants true repentance. And this is the message from chapter 2, that if we give true repentance, what comes? True blessing. True blessing. Our God is a God who can bless. God writes about in chapter 2 and also chapter 3, how if Israel would only turn back they'd be restored, right? All those years of famine, he'd make the crops grow back. All those countries that took them over, he would kick them out and punish them. Why? Same message, because God is sovereign. That's what Joel's about, right? God is sovereign, he's all powerful. If he could allow those bad things to happen, can he also reverse all those bad things? Oh, you bet, God is that powerful. And likewise for us, it's true even today. For all the sins that we did, for all the punishment we deserve for all those sins, can God reverse all those punishments in a second? Of course. By simply trusting Jesus as our Savior, we get everlasting life in heaven. That easy. That easy. That's how He makes it. Because God is sovereign, God is all powerful, He can make it happen. And that's really the message of Joel. So we study this book. For months and months and months, this is what I would say boils down to the message in just the 10-minute uh, version like we just studied right now. This is the 10-minute version, right? That we have to understand and we have to accept that our God is the powerful God, the one that can do everything, the one that we have to be scared of that can punish us, and the one that we love and that can bless us, and that we need True repentance in the face of this all-powerful God that was Joel's message to the people of Israel and it's Joel's message to us even today now his message of the powerful God flows right into the message of Amos who we just started studying a couple months ago right so we'll talk a little about Amos in our remaining time here we'll give you the five-minute version right the five-minute version of what we studied so far this year now if you remember Amos, we do know a little about this guy, right? He lived in the southern kingdom. He lived in the time of King Jeroboam. And we know his job. His job was that he was a herdman, meaning he cared for sheep, a regular old shepherd, right? Nothing special about him. Nothing special about him. He wasn't like some priest. He wasn't a super holy guy, right? He wasn't an educated man. He wasn't a rich man. He's a regular guy right? Um, humble, modest shepherd. And of course the first lesson we drew from this book was that of course we see that God oftentimes does pick the most humble guy, the most regular guy, to do awesome and amazing things for him. And here he picked Amos to share that message, right? To be his prophet, even though it came from a humble background. Which means to us, all of us here, most of us here, all of us here I'd say, we can say we're just as sophisticated as any sheep farmer, right? We probably, we probably know as much about God as any sheep farmer, right? It means all of us here can be used for God all the same, does it not? Especially like you high school people, right? In high school people, you think like, oh, what can I do for God? I am just a high schooler. I know nothing, right? What can I do? There's plenty you can do. That's the message From uh, we get from Amos, right? That if he could do it, how much more so can all of us do it to serve God in some way, in some form? It's not beyond any of our capability. Here's the truth, high schoolers. Once upon a time, when I started teaching the little kids at this church, how old was I? I was in high school, just like yourselves, right? So it's not out of that realm of possibility. Did I know a lot of Bible back then? No. Did I know anything back then? Probably not. But you know, I just tried. And you trying to make it up and you figure it out and you say, you know, God, I want to do your work. That's more important than me not necessarily knowing everything. I don't think Amos knew everything about the scriptures and the law and about God or whatever. But he was there to do his work. Now, what was the message of Amos? How does it relate to the previous message we just studied? The previous message was God is all-powerful, God is sovereign. Amos's message, as we started studying, and we're going to keep on studying, and we're going to get so repetitive that we'll get tired of it, is this. The message of Amos is that judgment is near, God's judgment. Amos talks over and over again about God's judgment. We saw it when we studied chapter 1. If you look at Amos chapter 1, verse number 3, for, it says this, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Verse number 6, For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Verse number 9, For three transgressions of Tyrus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And likewise in verse number 11 and 13 and chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter two, verse four, and chapter two, verse six. The same phrase repeated over and over again. This pattern that Amos talks in, right? First talks about the transgressions. And we, t- we studied this f- this phrase. What does it mean? For three transgressions before. It's an expression they used back then to kind of mean like what we would use today to say, like the last straw, right? Like the three strikes and you're out type idea. It doesn't mean that they did exactly three sins and now they did the fourth one and now the punishment comes. It just means they did one too many, right? Oh, your country, you did too many sins. God's judgment is coming, right? Judgment is here. Here comes your punishment. And in chapter one, we saw the punishments laid out for these six Gentile nations, right? Six Gentile nations. They all did this horrible stuff and no surprise, God has a punishment for them. And as we studied these, we looked at them and we kind of characterize them as kind of like, like war crimes type stuff. Like Some of the stuff was really bad, right? Like one of the countries, they took people as slaves. Slavery, that's a bad thing, right? Other people did these horrible uh, uh, brutality in war, cutting up people, hacking up people unnecessarily. One of these countries even did stuff like kill pregnant women in battle pretty bad stuff. No surprise that God wouldn't like that and that God has a judgment for these countries, right? But then we studied last time, when we started studying chapter two, that the judgment wasn't just for these Gentile nations that did all these bad things. We saw in chapter two, verse four, it said what? Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Judah. Even Judah had a punishment, right? But what did they do? It didn't say that. They did these horrible war crimes and murdered people and took people into slavery. What does it say? Because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, Judah's punishment was for not following God and his law. You can imagine if you had lived in Judah and you hear Amos' prophecy in the beginning, you're like, yeah, that's great. Punish these countries. They did this bad stuff, this horrible stuff. They deserve it. And then you get to chapter two. And it's like, what? It's going to us now? We get the judgment too? What do we do? How is our problem comparable to all these people? These people, they did all these like horrible war crimes. You're saying we just didn't follow the law, right? I didn't remember the Sabbath day. I bore false witness to my neighbor. I did, you know, know, I worship idols or whatever. How is that on the same level? Well, God put them on the same level. And I think he put them on the same level for one important reason. Because Judah is supposed to be God's children. Is it not true? That Judah is supposed to know better. They are supposed to study these laws and know these laws and follow God's laws. Yet, despite knowing it, they willfully disobeyed God. They said, you know what? I heard your Ten Commandments, God. I'm going to do something different. I want to go worship idols. I want to go lie. I want to do adultery. I want to do all these things. Steal, cheat, whatever it is, right? And they did it. And God has that punishment for all of them. For us today, we can be happy that we're all saved right now, right? And that we worship God and we know God. But God holds us to a standard. The same standard he held the people back in the book of Amos, right? That we ought to know his commandments. Should we not? Should we not know his commandments? And should we not follow his commandments? Right? What does that say about us? If we know that God doesn't want us to do these sins, yet we do it anyway. We're not living in fear of God's judgment. That's what it means. When we're talking about God's judgment, it's something we ought to be scared of. Remember, God's all powerful. He can do all this bad stuff to us. Why do we ignore it? Why do we ignore it? It's human nature to ignore judgment that isn't near, right? It's like you school people when you're in school, right? You, where your judgment is a test, right? A lot of times you ignore the test, right? Until it finally comes up on the calendar. Oh the test is tomorrow, now finally I need to study and get ready for the test, right? And we know sometimes it doesn't work out very well when you cram it all at the last second. What works better is if you're prepared for the test the whole time right if you've been doing your homework the whole time you've been studying the whole time and getting ready likewise how do we prepare for God we don't know when he's coming we don't know when that judgment is coming We will get our judgment eventually we'll all die and go to heaven and account for what we did in our lives right and we'll sit before God and tell him all the good or the bad right and he'll know it all he'll know all the good in our life and all the bad in our heart do we want to get caught ashamed in front of God Is that what we want? That when God comes for us, that we tell him that we lived a horrible life, that we lived a life that he would not be proud of, that his judgment on us would be that we did poorly, even though we should have known better? Of course not. Of course not. We want to be able to go to God when we get to heaven and tell him we did what we could to follow him. We tried our best, right? Going back to our other theme, right? We tried our best to avoid sin. We tried our best to serve him. We tried our best. To do as much as we could for him now next time when we continue we're going to look into Amos what he says about Israel so Judah right and probably Israel they heard this and they said oh haha Judah right now it's haha Israel you got a long thing of what is wrong with Israel and all the bad things there and all the judgment coming to them again this book is just about judgment 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 what did you guys do wrong what is the punishment for us And the lesson for us, what do we need to avoid? But all that being said, we've gone through five chapters with the Bible in 20 minutes. So I think you guys have heard more than enough. We'll pick it up with the regular Sunday school the next time we meet, which will be, believe it or not, in the year 2019. Well, now let's end off with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for giving us time here to study your word. We covered a lot of Bible this year, I'm surprised. Normally, you know me, I'm long-winded and slow, and it takes forever to learn all these things. But hopefully, this congregation got a blessing from studying all these books of the Bible, that they learn more from it, that they're able to put these lessons in their heart, all the lessons that seem like from long ago, thousands of years, these prophets, you know, this message still resonate today. We thank you that we have this message and we ask that you continue to repeat this message in our hearts for us to learn more and more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, Let's stop this first.